This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. When you mentioned heaven on earth, the fact that you brought that up and the fact that that's a part of your your book is really important to me personally. And I think more people need to be aware of that, that gosh, yes, of course, we want to live good lives, we want to do the right things, but enjoy it. It's not a seven step process. I don't believe in those things because most people give up after step two. What it really comes to is a deepening. You know, if you can connect with yourself better and to others and to a, po a power, it's not like, okay, I've checked the three boxes. Then how do you deepen this? And one of the things that I talk about in the book, all I really want right now is how to, can I deepen the connection with my truest self, with others, into a power greater than us? How do you deepen that? And the more you deepen it, I think life becomes richer and richer. And then all of a sudden things start changing. I, I say a quote in the book from Wayne Dyer, when you change the way you look at things, those things start to change. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Joe Sweeney. You are a best-selling author, internationally known speaker, investor in private equity companies, and a highly sought-after executive coach, having spent more than 40 years blending your love of business and your passion for sports. You have owned, operated, and sold numerous companies and have taken your crystallized knowledge from these experiences to create a world-class executive coaching, speaking, and training business. Your passion is studying human behavior and have used the fields of sports, business, and military as your laboratory to better understand why certain people outperform others. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roger. Great to be with you today. I am so excited to have the opportunity to sit down with you. We've, got, we've gotten to know each other over the last few months um, and, you know, I just, first of all, I wanted to publicly say that, thank you. Thank you for being one of our clients in our publishing company. Uh, you have actually helped elevate our game and our team just by you interacting with us. And our team sees that we talk about it. So, so thank you for that. It's people like you that help others elevate their game. And I know that's exactly what you do every day. Thank you, Roger. It's a it's a joy and pleasure and real an honor to work with American Real Publishing. Yeah, and you know, uh, we'll talk about your book, your new book, The Power of Connection. Um, but you're also the author of four other books. Um, you know, and one is the New York Times bestseller, Networking is a Contact Sport, and I'm even going to read the subtitle: How Staying Connected and Serving Others Will Help You Grow Your Business expand your influence and even land your next job. Uh, I love I love the title of that book. Tell us a little bit about that book before we start talking about the power of connection. Yeah, um, so I'm not a writer, um, even though I've written five books now. Um, uh, but I wanted to um, communicate to my kids all the crazy things I've done before I left this earth. And so I thought I'd put together a... Um, um, some principles and things I've learned in life for my kids that kind of expanded into someone said, you should write a book. And I thought, I don't know how to write a book. I'm not a writer. I wrote it kind of on a whim. I, I marketed it hard and it made the New York Times bestseller list. So 
everyone thought I knew what the heck I was talking about. So I got asked to go around the country, start speaking and coaching. And since that, I've written um, three additional books, four, and this is my fifth. But what I really, um, I've done a lot of different things in my life, as you know, Roger, whether it's be a, a running manufacturing firms, an investment banker, a sports agent, now an author, speaker, and coach. But the one common element of everything I've done in different industries was really about networking and connecting with others. And, you know, and I start out, I, I say I write a, I wrote a New York Times bestselling book on networking, but I hate networking. I hate what it represents because when you and I and all your listeners hear networking, what do we think? We think of an alpha male chasing you down at, at, a, at a cocktail party with your business card. In fact, and I think part of the reason the book was a big success, I completely reframed networking. And networking is really a place we go to give and serve and help others and not get something for ourselves. And if you really drill down on the term networking, it's really about the art of connection. And this book that we're publishing with American Real, quite honestly, Roger, I wanted to write 12 or 13 years ago, but I didn't have the guts to do it because I was sort of insecure. What do people think about this? But everything I've been holding inside for the last, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 years, I've kind of let out in this book. So, and my brother, who's a musician, called me. He read the manuscript. And he said, I've read all your books, Joe. And he said, if you were a musician, musician, this would be probably your greatest hits album. And I said, thank you. He's my biggest fan and my biggest critic. But I said, unlike the uh, musicians, this is not my farewell tour. At least I hope not. So yeah, no, but no I'm doubt. grateful for your company because you've just been a delight to work with as we've gone through this laborious publishing process. You people have made it really easy. Thank you. Thank you. And if you can give us a, a glimpse of what people can expect from this book. You just you just mentioned networking. I think we could all relate to that. Um, and, and one question I had first, though, because I think it's important, is help people understand especially on the online world, when it comes to LinkedIn or, or even Twitter or whatnot, you know, we all get bombarded with, you know, uh, you know, I am a, you know, website, uh, you know, pr producer or developer, I could do this, I could do that. And people are coming at you so hard from, from a networking perspective, uh, which leads to the connection, the power of connection, what would you recommend people do as their entree to connecting with others? How, what, what's what's a maybe a good formula to to think about? Um, I could speak two hours about that. I actually have a two hour talk on that. But to make it really simple and to the point for online people, and I always say touch trumps technology every day. Now, that was before the pandemic, and that was before virtual work and virtual meetings. I always joke and say, try to make a living running around the country saying networking is a contact sport in the age of uh, COVID. Kind of a tough way to make a living. Um, but here's the advice I would make people. And I get all the emails and LinkedIn that everyone does. And I say this in uh, some, several of my books. If you really want to connect with someone, and it's real, find something personal and then do something memorable. Find something personal, then do something memorable. For example, Roger, I'll just make this up. If you and I, I wanted to connect with you and I didn't know how to connect with Roger Brooks because 
Um, some people think you're kind of the Ron Burgundy. You're sort of a big deal around here from um, uh, Anchorman. But, you know, you got a thousand calls a day. Why would you want to stop your life and talk to me if I was trying to connect with you? So if I did research on you, find something personal, do something memorable, you got to do some homework. Let's just say I called you and you never got back to me. And I understand that because you're a busy guy. But let's just say I researched you and I'm just making this up. Let's just say you loved the Green Bay Packers. I'm just making, I saw on your Facebook or LinkedIn that you're a Packer fan. What if I went out and bought a Green Bay Packer football, the logo, and I sent it to you? Now you get a lot of mail, a lot of things, but I guarantee you if you were a Packer fan, not many people would hit that Packer fan uh, enthusiasm within Roger. So if you open your mail one day and say, my God, here's a football from this guy, Sweeney. Oh, is this the guy, the pain in the butt that's been bugging me? You're going to take my next call. So find something personal and do something memorable. People will never forget you. And that's part of connecting with people. Oh, love that. And that that actually is just a, it's, it's a short, you know, thing to remember. And I think that's, you know, something that we could put out there. I'll, I'm going to do a quote with, with, with your image to show that because I think it is that important um, and, and just a, a great, great, great way to connect. So thanks for that. Um, all right, let's move into uh, let's move into the power of connection more deeply. And this was my, my question from before. Give us a glimpse as to what people might expect. I love how your brother put it, you know, it's your greatest hits album. So uh, what can people expect from this book? Well, let me start with a bold statement. I know this is bold, but to me, again, I'm, I'm admitted, I'm admitting I'm a tad bit biased. This is the number one most important book of our time today. And let me tell you why. If you look at all the problems and all the challenges we have personally, interpersonally, as a society, you know, you can say there's a thousand problems and 500,000 reasons, but I can simplify it and bring it down to one problem. It's the lack of connection. And let me break that down for you. Think about post-COVID. You think about the drug problem, the alcoholism, um, all the things that the disconnection from COVID caused us. And, it, and if you really look at, and I, I write this in the introduction of the book, the whole topic of addiction. I don't care if it's drugs, alcohol, sex, uh, purchasing, gambling. If you really study addiction, and I have, and I'll steal this line from my buddy, Joe Polish, who was a reformed marijuana, cocaine, and heroin addict. Now he's a he's a great he's recovered. A lot of heroin addicts don't recover; they die. But Joe Polish says, and I, I mentioned this in the book, the opposite of addiction is connection. Hmm. Think about it. alcohol, drugs, whatever it is, makes you feel connected temporarily. It's not real. So if people can understand how to really connect, and I mean deeply. Um, it can solve or at least help you understand what the problems are. So what we did with this book, Roger, I broke it down into three sections on, on connection. Section one, about six chapters, is how do you connect with your true, authentic self? It's not narcissism. I mean, in this, this social media world, narcissism runs rampant. But how do you connect deeply 
with your truest and most authentic self. That's not easy. The second section is how do we connect with others? And the third section is, and I'll admit it's way above my pay grade, but I made a shot at it. How do we connect with a higher power? Because when we look at our lives, you know, we think we want more money, more fame. Um, I don't think we do. I think what we want at our deepest core is connection. And again, a deeper connection with ourselves, with others, into a power greater than us. I think that oversimplifies the book. And we get into detail about, in each of those three sections, not just philosophically some ideas, but how to do it. And I spent a lot of my uh, days in executive coaching. And like you, I see a lot of problems, but the root of a lot of these problems are a lack of connection. So this book, it's not a how-to book, but it really can show you the how, how to get it done and how to reconnect, because a lot of us get disconnected. How do we reconnect with ourselves, with others, and do a higher power? Great. Oh, I love that. And let's start with the first one, how to connect with ourselves. Um, people are busy. They go through their daily lives. They're they're you know, we, we've, we've been raised to be, you know, uh, somewhat egotistical, um, you know, self-serving, um, you know, me, 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 the, 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 the universe, uh, I am the center of the universe, right? All, all these things. Uh, however, how do you, how do you help someone get from that place, which I think people do just because of lack of awareness, to becoming more aware and in tune with connecting with oneself. Where does that start? Does well, it really is there a trigger with identifying your number one enemy? Um, this. And I tell everyone, and it's the first two chapters of the book. If you want to get really clear and begin the process of connection, you got to get quiet. And people say, Oh, Roger, you have no idea how busy I am. And you know what, and I talk about, we have different phases of our life. Um, you know, I kids are growing, I've got grandkids. Right now is an easier stage for me to block time to get quiet. But when you're in that warrior stage of life where you're building your career, having kids, um, you know, trying to juggle a new marriage, uh, that can be challenging. So what I say is, you know, I've got more flexibility and freedom now than I had 25 or 30 years ago when I was in the midst of raising kids. But you got to take some time. I don't care if it's two minutes or five minutes. I always, I write in the book, I think. Can't remember. I've, I've read it so many times. But if you're that busy, take five minutes in the morning and five minutes at the end of the day. And if you say, I'm, I don't have 10 minutes in a day for myself, for my life, I say, you don't have a life. So it starts with number one, identifying what your enemy is. And it's this... Um, um, obsession with busyness. But think about it, Roger. 30, 40 years ago, I used to think people thought they were, um, um, they showed their value with their things. Look at my car, look at my house. And somehow today, I think people try to um, show how important they are by telling you how busy they are. Oh God, Roger, I'm busy. You have no idea how busy I am, Roger. You know what I'm really saying? Look how important I am. I'm so busy. So if you want to get clear and start the process of connecting, you got to get quiet. And I write in the book, I give three or four examples of that. 
Um, if you think about people who have done great things on this earth, it's usually been preceded by some quietness. Examples, think of Nelson Mandela, um, 20 years or so in a prison. Yeah. He came out and became the president. Think of John McCain, who was in prisoner of war for seven years, all alone, came out and be a, became a great statesman. Think of this guy by the name of Jesus. He spent 40 days, 40 nights in the desert, came out and did great things. So if you study history, and I give a lot of examples in the book, great accomplishments were usually preceded when someone got quiet so they could get clear to move forward. Love that. Oh, so it's so powerful. Okay, so moving into the next phase, and obviously we want people to get this book so they could read those first six chapters to help them um, interpersonally. Next phase, connecting with others. Okay, so here's what I opened the second, second section, connecting with others. I took a risk with your encouragement. Um, the way you build self-esteem is to help someone survive a risk. Tell all the teachers and parents that today. <laughs> you don't, you don't um, coddle your kids and make sure they don't fail. Let them fail. They'll learn from it. So I took a little risk. I started section two talking about COVID. The section is um, COVID culture and the new disconnection. So I start about connecting with others saying, you can't write a book today or give a speech without recognizing what went on in our country due to COVID. You know, and we thought that COVID would reunite us like 9-11. In fact, it separated us more than ever. And there's a lot of reasons why. And because this is, a, I'm, I'm an executive coach, I wanted to talk about how COVID has impacted business. Because I'm a business guy. I spend most of my time in business. But it applies to government, education, military, I don't, sports, whatever your, your field is. And, and what happens is business owners started wondering, how do I build a culture in this thing called disconnection? Um, and COVID disconnected us. How do I, and I coach a lot of owners of companies and CEOs, how do I build a culture when I've got a third of my staff virtual, a third of my staff hybrid, and a third of my people in the office? How do I judge them? You know, how do I give institutional intelligence? How do I pass that on when some are hybrid, some are virtual, some are in person? So it's really created um, um, a split in our culture. And I start the chapter by saying, what happens when we get squeezed? What happens? And I use the example of an orange. When you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange Jeez. juice. Why? Because that's what's inside. So when you get squeezed, what comes out? Because COVID squeezed us as a society. And what I saw come out is fear, uncertainty, terrible mis uh, risk mitigation. And I don't care where you are on the COVID spectrum. It doesn't matter. And this is not a political statement, but we had a pandemic where we had 99.97% of the people survive and we shut down the country. Now, if you've really studied it, and I've studied it, and I'm not here to, to talk about COVID, but it, the main thing, it made us more disconnected. And so I spend the chapter probably asking 15 or 18 questions. And I say this at the end of the chapter. I understand I've asked more questions and I've given answers. So when you don't know what to do, I think you've got to go back to the basics. 
And so I spend the next three or four chapters talking about how do we get reconnected interpersonally? And you got to go back to the basics. And it's things I've been doing my whole life. Um, try to find something personal, do something memorable. You got to start asking better questions, listening better, taking action. Um, I have a whole chapter on teamwork. How do we reunite and get our teams to work together? And so the whole second part is how do we develop deep interpersonal relationships? And maybe my favorite chapter is chapter 11. And instead of talking about this, I give examples. I talk about four of the greatest couples that I know that had the most incredible relationship. And I talk about it in the book. I'm not going to say who they are, teaser to buy the book, um, but they experienced incredible intimacy and it's everything all of us want in a relationship. And that's how I end section uh, two. Wow. Wow. Powerful. Powerful. Okay. Um, the higher power. How do we get there? Where do we start? Okay. Um, this is the risk part of it that you've really helped me through, Roger. But I start this by saying, and I've mentioned it before, connecting to a higher power or God or whatever it is, I'll admit, way above my pay grade. But this is something I've studied since the time I was in first grade, in Catholic grade school. I've thought about it. I've tried to process this for 50, 60 years. And I think a lot of it is, um, you know, I don't know how to describe it in a sentence or two, but number one, it's hard to connect to a higher power when you're so disconnected to yourself. You know, people have asked me, is this linear? Not really, but it kind of is. If you're disconnected with yourself, your authentic self, and you're not living your life, you're doing what your mom wanted you to do or, or what your uh, husband wanted you to do or what all your friends want you to think and say, you're really not connected. Um, and I think it's harder to get to connect with others when you're disconnected with yourself. And I think it's really hard to connect with a higher power unless, and this is what I've witnessed, unless you have some sort of crisis in your life where you say the hell with everything, I got to go to the, the meat of this. But I think a lot of this starts with a realization that, um, and I think the easiest way to connect to a higher power is with one word, gratitude. You can wake up in the morning, Roger, and bitch about everything, about, you know, this isn't right, that isn't right. And I'm just reading for the second time um, uh, the book Positivity. And it starts like this. How do you start your day? It could be a bad mindset, negative, or a good mindset. But I think there's no way to connect to a higher power if you're bitching about all the problems in life. But I think starting with gratitude. I mean, just this right now. I mean, you and I are communicating. You're in New York. I'm in Florida. What a way to connect. Um, and so I think the number one thing is start is to be grateful. And I have a chapter 14, which is kind of fun. I say heaven on earth. And I was raised Catholic and I've studied all this stuff. But I always say, you don't have to die to go to heaven. Heaven is all around us every day. And I talk in the book, there's no way you can experience um, heaven in the afterlife or whatever that looks like, unless you appreciate it here. So, and that gets back to the gratitude and appreciation and <clears throat> the best chapter of the book. And it's kind of the grand finale. What do they call it when the um, musicians come out? The encore? Yes. This is sort of the encore kind of, 
I talk and it's called chapter 15, death, the ultimate connection. And to kind of preview it, I don't want to give it all away, but I might. If you can connect to a higher power, you will never die. And just to ask, you know, ask yourself this, do you think God is any different now or a higher power than he or she was a thousand years ago? Will God be any different a hundred years from now? I don't think so. I'm not a theologian, but I don't think so. But, you know, if you can really connect with a higher power, you'll never die because you're, you're connected with something bigger and greater than yourself. And so the last chapter is to get us all to reframe what death and dying is really about. And, and if you can understand that and you can believe it, you'll realize you'll never die. That's kind of the conclusion of the book. So, and to me, Roger, it, it's 60 years of what I've thought about. And um, there's maybe a few controversial things in, uh, in the book. And I've given it to some people and they said, well, you know what? That's not for me. That's, you know what? It's, you know, and I think you told me if you don't segment the market, um, every book uh, cannot be all things to all people. And, um, but I think people who have thought about um, life, why am I here? What's the purpose? I have a whole um, uh, chapter on, on finding your life's mission through the art of connection and how to do it. Um, uh, but again, this is, uh, as my brother said, I think this is my greatest hits album. And um, I always say when I finish these books, I'm never writing another one. God, it's hard. <laughs> the time you write it, you proof it. We don't want that. <laughs> the only easy part on this is the publishing. And that's a that's a, uh, a really uh, reflection on you and your team. Eva and Katie, they've been unbelievable. Thank Responsive. you. And just a comment about this, and it's part of connection. COVID disconnected us. And I travel a lot. I speak all over the country. And what I've noticed during COVID and post-COVID is people have used COVID for very poor customer service. And I think as a country, our expectations, or at least mine has been lowered. So when I get basic service, like people returning your phone call, I say, oh my gosh, is that great? Well, you know, I, that's what customer service is, but we've forgotten that. And uh, your company's really done a good job. Great Thank response. You. And uh, I know that's customer service, but in today, I'm going like, wow. Right. No, it's it's unbelievable what, what we're seeing in restaurants, uh, you know, at, at the airport. It just doesn't matter. Wherever you go, uh, it, the, the excuse is out there and, and they're continuing to go down this path of, you know, reverse of what, what we've all, you know, come to expect <laughs> from a customer loyalty standpoint. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, you know, when I was younger and I lived in Portland, Oregon, going to school at Portland State University, uh, it was the first time I went into a Starbucks and uh, it was downtown Portland near Nordstrom's. And I walked in and I, I, I didn't, I didn't really even understand what it, what it was. I'd never experienced anything, the the music, the, the aroma, the, the noises, you know, the baristas doing their thing. Uh, people ordering in this foreign language that I words I never heard. And but one thing that I noticed there from a customer service, a customer loyalty standpoint, is that you wanted to be there. People wanted to be it, it was an attraction. It was an energy. And and I think no matter what business you're in, uh, whether it's us in the publishing business or you and your coaching business, if you could create that energy 
that Starbucks has done so well and has been able to hold, then, you know, you, you, you will attract the right people. And um, it's, you know, it, we need more of that today. We need more I of that today. Totally I just want to touch Joe on, because uh, we're going a little bit deeper in, in today's conversation than some of our, uh, you know, previous phone calls. And I, and I would like to just chat about this for a moment. When you mentioned heaven on earth, you know, Again, most of us are raised in a traditional, maybe Catholic or, you know, Jewish or whatever your your religion is. But um, I I listened to Alan Watts. I don't know if you know Alan Watts quite a bit. And one of the things he talks about, which is very interesting to put things into perspective, he says, look, if you could go to sleep at night and every night that you go to sleep, pick a number between the time you close your eyes and the moment you wake up. It's 75 years. And in that 75 years, you could do anything you want in your dreams. You could go wherever you want. You could be with whoever you want to be with. You could have all of life's fulfillments, right? And you could do that night after night after night. Well, you're going to get to a certain point where you've done it all. You've, you've dreamed it all. And then you're going to wake up one day and say, this is what I'm after. This right now where I am, this is the ultimate dream and we're living it. We're in the moment. We are here. So this is heaven on there. So I think the fact that you brought that up and the fact that that's a part of your, your book is really important to me personally. And I think more people need to be aware of that, that gosh, yes, of course, we want to live good lives. We want to do the right things, but enjoy it. Like be present with people. And it's all everything you're talking about today. It just brings it all together for me. So, so here's here's what we do in the book. There's an exercise that I have, and it's something like like Watts that you talked about. But um, and I do this at the end of my talks uh, a lot of times. I do something called the rocking chair test. I force people to pretend when you go to bed at night. Pretend you're 97 years old. You're in your rocking chair in the nursing home, sitting in your depends. And you ask yourself this question, what would my life look like if it really turned out great? What would my life look like if it really turned out great? And it forces you to think through this. Then I have the, uh, the reader pause and go from that spot to today and then figure out what do I have to do between now and the end of my life in order to pull that off. And so when you said, Roger, about, well, I've got the perfect life. I'm in heaven or not. You know what? It's not a, um, how do I say that? It's not a seven-step process. I don't believe in those things because most people give up after step two. Um, but what it really comes to is a deepening. You know, if you can connect with yourself better and to others and to a, po a power, it's not like, okay, I've checked the three boxes. Then, and this is the state my wife and I are at now is, how do you deepen this? And one of the things that I talk about in the book, all I really want right now is how do, can I deepen the connection with my truest self, with others, into a power greater than us? So now in this, you know, this might be the epilogue or the next book, is how do you deepen that? And, and the more you deepen it, I think life becomes richer and richer. And, you know, you keep saying, how do you do this? You know, if someone's busy... You got to take time to pause, reflect, uh, be grateful. And then all of a sudden things start changing. 
I, I say a quote in the book from Wayne Dyer, when you change the way you look at things, those things start to change. And I think that's so true. Um, and, you know, we live here in Naples, Florida. I, I kind of joke in the book about, you know, you don't have to die to go to heaven. You just have to move to Naples, Florida, because I think this is <laughs> on earth down here. I love it. I love it. Okay. Disconnection. Disconnection. You talked about that. Um, we're living in a polarizing political environment. I guess the question I have from a humanity standpoint, okay, you know, it doesn't matter where you go today. It could be at the dinner table with, you know, family and friends. It could be a, a, in a work environment, but we are so, you know, politically disconnected, which I think is putting people in at least two buckets, maybe three, right? Um, how do we break down some of those barriers with, you know, people that don't agree on views and really are putting labels on others, you know, and therefore that separation is there before you even speak a word? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd like to say that's a little bit above my pay grade, but since I wrote a book about it. So here's number one. People are going to believe what they want to believe, Roger, politically. And um, and what I try to do in all my speaking in my books, I try not to talk about two things, religion and politics. They're so divisive. That's why I spend most of my time talking about sports and sex, two safe things. How about them Packers, huh? But... Um, but we've gotten to a point in our country, you're right, where we are so divisive. And I talk about it in the book. And I really, I, I talk and I reflect on history. And I go back to the 80s. Well, you look at Ronald Reagan, love him or hate him, and Tip O'Neill, love him or hate him. Ronald Reagan was a conservative president. Tip O'Neill was a flaming liberal from Massachusetts. They fought all day. At the end of their um, time, uh, fighting all day, they'd go out and have a drink, put our, their arms around each other and say, I'll see you in the battlefield tomorrow. But we, we've we lost that. And, you know, I don't know what to, how to flip a switch and to change that. And, you know, but when you look at, and this is a book on human behavior and coaching, you got to figure out how do we change human behavior? And, you know, when we're so divided like that, sometimes the only thing that can connect us is a crisis. I mean, we go back 22 years ago at 9-11, we were split as a country, but for a period of time that brought us together. And I'm not advocating we need a crisis in this country, but we need something to bring us back to unite us. And, and again, it's like I mentioned in that chapter seven on COVID, when you start asking all these questions and you don't know, I think you got to go back to the fundamentals. What is it we agree on? You know, um, can we start there instead of saying what divides us? Can we find one or two things that we agree on? And I met right in the book is um, uh, if you believe um, what you think about grows, you got to start being really careful what you think about. And just from the political thing, you know, you think, oh, I'm in this box, I'm in that box. You got to kind of get rid of labels. There's a movement now in politics called no labels, which I'm kind of intrigued about. But I think part of this, too, comes back to I think um, we need to release our um, addiction of being right all the time. I'm right in my politics. You're wrong. And I have a chapter in there called letting go. 
You got to let go of your ego, die to your ego, die to your um, possessions, and dying to your addiction of being right all the time. And I think those are three things that have kept us divided politically. But I talk about it in this um, book. Um, and I talk about, um, you know, you look at whether you like him or not, Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush, they became great friends. Those are two political opposites, but they found things that um, united them and they became great friends. Yeah, and I'd like to just add, uh, you know, a good friend of mine, Anthony Brunelli, who's actually my first interview six years ago on, on this podcast. Um, he likes to talk about something that, you know, we're, we're on a pendulum, right? Every, everyone's, you're at one extreme or the other, you're somewhere in the middle. But at the end of the day, it's like black and white. Black and white, it's, it's you know, it's the it's the reflection, right? So if if we can try and i think you need to do some of the steps first that you talked about with you know interpersonal you know development and whatnot but once once you get there if you can see the reflection of others in you or you and the reflection of others it starts to break down those barriers of labels and you know i i try hard like if if i disagree with someone it could even be in my family you know, I, I I just take a step back and see myself in them. And I see, you know, them and myself. So when you do that, it kind of makes it more personal that, okay, they have that view, but I have this view and let's, you know, let's just try to, let's try to see that reflection so that it's not so polarizing. Yeah. Yeah. I usually say when I look at American politics today, I say, it reminds me a lot like the swimming pool. Most of the noise comes from the shallow end. And I don't care on what side, the left or the right. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. That is so true. So, Joe, let's go into a little bit of your of your uh, career and experience um, in, in marketing and sales, finance, all this thing that you've done. Uh, now you're doing, now you're coaching high level executives. How have you been able to parlay your your work experience, life experience, into what you're doing today. It's very intriguing. Yeah. You know, and I, I almost hate, Roger, using the word coaching because I know hundreds of coaches who can't manage a lemonade stand or haven't done anything. But I think in order to um, be a great coach, I've, I've made this list of 10 traits of a good coach. But number one, I think the most important thing is you have experience. And you have um, what I called, you said it at the uh, beginning of this, I call it crystallized intelligence in that you have so many experiences. And when I do coaching sessions, people can be halfway through their explaining their problem. And based on my experience, I've got four or five solutions that they can go down. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I think um, to be a great coach, you've got to practice what I call altruistic egoism. And what I mean by that is, I've had enough success. I've had enough recognition. I don't need that anymore. I get my greatest um, pleasure today by helping other people succeed. And uh, I think those are two of the, the most important things with a coach. And uh, my favorite prayer of all time is the prayer of St. Francis. And it ends with, it's in giving that we receive. And you know, I've got a thousand stories in a lot of my books where I've helped someone um, and it didn't come back 10, 100 times fold. 
I have one example. I bought a guy a cup of coffee for for uh, $2. And after six or seven years of working with that guy, that $2 introductor, introduction uh, for of coffee produced $200,000 of revenue. So that peop- that came back 100,000 times old. And But the point of that, I didn't buy a cup of this guy a cup of coffee so I could get something. I didn't even know who he was. But he ended up running a big company, asked me to come and speak. And I've done six, seven, eight talks for his company over the last seven or eight years. So I think a good coach um, really tries to help people go from where they are to where they want to get to. And the more experience you have, call it crystallized intelligence, um, really helps people in that process. And and I, I read something this past week is defined. It's about retirement. I don't believe in retirement. I, I believe in refirement where um, uh, you need to find a career that you could do for the rest of your life. Because right now, coaching to me is not work. I love doing it. Um, I'd do it for nothing if I could. Um, sometimes I do. I spend a lot of time coaching people free. But this is something I can do to the day I die. Um, and if you look at our um, retirement program in our country, you know, it, look at our lives, Roger. We're very linear. We get educated, we work, then we retire. And um, there is a huge crisis in our country right now no one talks about. And it's mostly with men. I, I coach a lot of men between the ages of 55 and 80 who have done all the right things and they live the American dream and they retire. And, and this is a new phenomenon for one reason. Life expectancy changed. 140 years ago in America, the average life expectancy of a male was 47. And even when my dad retired 50 years ago, men used to retire at 65 and they'd be dead at 67. We've been given this gift of 25 years and men don't know what to do with it. You know, some women don't, but most men have no idea. Going to the country club and playing golf six times a week and drinking two martinis doesn't get you juiced up anymore. And I just find a lot of people who have retired that haven't found a new career, I find them kind of boring. You know, what do you do today? Oh, I'm busy. What are you going to do? Well, I got to get a haircut. Going to go to the hardware store this afternoon. God, you are busy. Um, But I think people want to retire so much because they haven't found their mission in their career and they hate it. So they want to finish it. So we have a chapter in the book. How do you find your life's mission? And you can't do it when you're disconnected. So this is why I think this is the most important book of our time today. Um, uh, Just because uh, it answers a lot of the questions that we're struggling with inside. Again, I'm biased. I admit I'm a little biased on that. Look, I agree with you. Uh, it is it is the most important topic that we could teach our children earlier, right? And it doesn't matter where you are, what age you are, it's never too late to adopt these three strategies. So I'm grateful for you, Joe, for for doing this. And well, let and- me let me end with this one. I'm too old. So I have a, I have a chapter three is called excuses be gone. People come up with excuses. Why not to connect? And I list the 18 top excuses that people use. And um, one of them is I'm too old. So in the book, with your help, your people's help, we put together five people 
and I don't know if you know this, but Sam Walton started Walmart in his 40s. Uh, Ray Kroc started McDonald's at 55. Colonel Sanders, 66. And um, here's a big one that I didn't know. Warren Buffett has made about 95% of his net worth after the age of 65. Wow. So, Roger, there's hope for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Joe, uh, tell us, do you have any uh, any talks that you've had or, or coming up on the topic of your book um, where you might be going out to, to broader audiences? Yeah. Mostly, um, um, I do private things. It's not like, hey, I'm coming to okay. Ann Arbor, Michigan. For, but, um, you know, over the next year, I'm going to do about 15 or 16 talks to the United States military through the Honor Foundation, which I'm on the faculty of. But I'll be doing 15 or 16 talks to um, the Navy SEALs in uh, San Diego and in Virginia Beach. I'll be up at Camp Lejeune dealing with the Marine Raiders. I do. Um, I go to Fort Bragg and I'm dealing with um, transitioning um, Green Berets. I'm doing the Army Rangers. And a lot of my talk is really about how do you go from being connected in the military, mm. just being out there, and how do you reconnect? And I, in a previous life, I used to be a pro sports agent, and I represented 24 pro athletes and coaches. So I spent a lot of my career helping high-performing athletes transition from the sports world to the civilian world. And I've taken that, what I call crystallized intelligence, and I've been blessed to help um, some of our greatest military people in transition. So I do that, and I'm doing conferences uh, all over the world in addition to um, doing a lot of executive coaching. I, I spend a lot of time doing board work um, around the country. Um, one of my favorite boards is Wintrust, Financial Wintrust Bank in Chicago. Go Wintrust. Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, um, so I've got a lot of talks coming up, but you know, I, I talk this every day where I am. And I try to, to deepen the connection with with everyone I meet, including you, Roger, which is pretty easy with you. <laughs> so who's the most interesting coach that you've ever worked with? Oh, gosh. Professional I mean, sport. I've worked with or I've coached. No, no. Yes. the You said you've worked with professional athletes and professional coaches. I was just curious on uh, the most well, interesting. I've, I've, done a, I've worked with a lot of high-profile pe people. Maybe the highest-profile guy I worked with was uh, – Three-time MVP, Brett Favre, the Green Bay Packers. Um, he, he's had a great career. Love him or hate him. He's done great things. He's overcome a lot of challenges personally in his life. Um, but it kind of interesting along that I've, I've done a lot of work with the NFL. I've had two clients that's um, actually three that have made the um, uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, and recently, I just had a really fun talk at the NFL owners meeting um, I spoke to 40 um, upcoming uh, African-American coaches to try to coach them up to become head coaches. It was really a neat deal. And I felt fortunate the next day um, I was able to download for about 12 to 15 minutes with Commissioner Roger Goodell. And we talked about the power of connection. And um, again, love, love or, or hate Roger Goodell. He's a great connector. He's really good. The NFL pays him about 60 million a year. I don't know how anyone can live off that, but it's not a bad start. <laughs> not a bad start. Amazing. Joe, this has been amazing. I know you're. we are going to coincide the release of this episode with the release of the book. So by this time, it will be out. Um, 
people can get the book through your website as well as on Amazon and then uh, soon to be in bookstores. Um, any any last things you want to mention about the book? Um, no, was, I think I've said a lot about the book, but I think, uh, again, I want to tell you how grateful I am for you and your publishing company. And, you know, most times I hang up from your people and I kind of pinch myself and I said, are these people really doing what they say they're going to do? I can't believe it. Just because uh, uh, I'm sick of using the line at some point in life, we got to stop using COVID as an excuse for bad customer service. Your company has overcome that. So it's an honor to work with you and your company. And I'm beyond grateful for all, you, all you've done. But I think, Roger, we're just getting started. Uh, I agree. I agree. Joe, if you were to take out your cell phone and call the 20-year-old Joe Sweeney, what would you tell him? Oh boy! Yeah. <laughs> to answer this question, you have seven hours and seven beers. Maybe <laughs> um, I think number one I would do is be more patient, breathe more. Um, how do I, I? I think there's value in the sense of urgency, um, but um, I, I, I say, and I got I say this in the book: um, you can go fast by yourself but you can't go very far. And I've tried to, to go really fast by myself many times where I need to partner with someone in order to go far. It's taken me a long time. There's a book out called uh, Entrepreneurial DNA, and it talks about the four types of entre entrepreneurs, a builder, an opportunist, a specialist, and an innovator. And if you study those four, I'm an entrepreneur, and I've had hundreds of deals. The deals that have turned out the best is when I've partnered with someone who plays an area that I find work. For example, whether I admit it, I admit it. I wish I wasn't like this. I'm an opportunist. If I see an opportunity, I try to go after it. And every organization needs an opportunist. But the best deals that I've ever done is when I've partnered with a builder. And, and so I think the lesson I would tell myself is, if you're going to get into something, find a partner who plays in areas that you find work. And again, I'll go back to that one example. If I had to do my life over again, and I'm grateful for everything because I've learned it, I would have partnered with more builders more often. Great advice. Great advice. I uh, want to give a quick uh, shout out about this book, A Light Shines Through Us. Now, my father read this, as you know. And, uh, you know, different than your, your current book now, but I encourage everyone to read this book. You, you go deep into your relationship uh, with a nun, and I think it's uh, very interesting. So uh, thanks for writing this book, Joe. I want people to get this as well. Um, so, Joe, if people want to get a hold of you, if they're interested in potentially hiring you to come speak to their organization, or hiring you as an executive coach, what is the best way for them to contact you? Um, they can just go to our website to joeswinney.com and fill out the form. I get back to everyone. And again, the main purpose of this book and what I'm really trying to do, Roger, is to help people go from where they are to where they want to get to. And this book can be a guide or a uh, literary mentor to help them in that process. And again, if they want to go deeper, I can come speak at their organization 
or I can connect with the individual and or teams to help them on their journeys. Last question before I let you go. You still have a lot of life to live and uh, you're creating you know, many connections around the world for yourself and for others. But at the end of the day, when you're in that rocking chair at, at 95 contemplating, what do you want your legacy to be? Um, well, you know, a lot of people talk about legacy. How are people going to remember me? We talk about this in the book. And, um, you know, we think sometimes, Roger, in order to have a legacy, we got to have our name on a building. We have to, you know, do all these special things. And it's part of the last chapter. We fear that after we die, no one will remember us. And, um, and I talk people out of that fear. But I think in order to live a legacy or leave a legacy, you got to live a legacy. And how do you do that? And I don't think you have to give $100 million to Harvard or Notre Dame or whatever. Um, no offense, Jay Jordan. This guy gave $175 million to Notre Dame. But I think leaving a legacy is about living a legacy. And that means every single person that you touch every single day feels a little bit better. And um, Clayton Christensen wrote a book, How Do You Measure Your Life? And he says, the metrics that I will use in my life, and I, I use this a lot, is um, did I make every person I touch a little bit better? And so when I wake up every day, that's part of my life's mission. I've thought through this. I've documented it. It's in the book. <laughs> um, that's what I do every day. Everyone I touch, I try to... Um, have them leave feeling a little bit better, whether it's a grocery store checkout person or, you know, the president of a publishing uh, firm or a politician, that's all I want. And, um, and then when you really think about that, what happens psychologically, you realize it's not about you. It's how can I help other people on their journey? I say this in the book, and, I, and a lot of people have said this, I didn't make this up, but when you really help other people get what they want, you'll get everything you need and more. And that's counterintuitive to what we've all been taught. What are, we, what are we taught? We gotta get our own or someone's gonna get it. Right. And I mentioned that in the book, but uh, so that's that's the legacy I wanna live. And you, you can't leave the legacy unless you live it every day. Well, look, you are a wonderful example. You and your wife, Nikki, are a, a wonderful couple. Uh, you know, So happy I've had the pleasure to meet you in person. I have a feeling this is not going to be the last time we sit down. I would love to do an in-person interview with you as well. We have lots to talk about. But Joe, thank you for, for coming into my life and, and for being such a great example for others. And uh, best of luck with this book. I know together we're going to um, help a lot of people after they read your words. And welcome to the American Real family. Thank you so much for coming on Thanks, the show. Thanks, Roger. Appreciate you and your guys. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review, as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, 
contact me today to see if we could help. You could reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.